Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. And um, we're both published by the same wonderful publisher, Blacksmith Books, okay. in Hong Kong. Shall we say hello to Pete? Yeah, hello, Pete. Is he there? Coming? No, no, but um, <laughs> Pete Spurrier um, should, should get a shout yeah. out because um, Pete's the um, proprietor of Blacksmith Books in Hong Kong, and he's, he's brought many... Um, He's given the chance to many authors, such as myself, who who have wonderful stories to tell, um, mainly based in Asia, aren't they? Mm. Um, and it's a difficult, I don't know if you found this, but the publishing world, it's quite difficult to get a contract. Um, but Pete will just look at a story and if he thinks it's got merit, if he thinks people will enjoy it, and if he thinks it, it brings a benefit to um, to Hong Kong or, or Asian non-fiction, then he, he gives you a chance. And uh, he's a nice guy. Yes. So hello, Pete, and uh, thank, hello, Pete, yeah. thank <laughs> you for all your authors. Uh, so, yes, is Hong Kong hot at the moment, Tim? Yeah, it's very hot. It's uh, 33, but last two weeks was okay because it was raining continuously. But now it's uh, it's hot again. It's 33, 34 degrees. So you know how it is. <laughs> yeah, the rainy season in Hong Kong is just it's it's insane, isn't it? It just doesn't yeah. stop raining, yeah. and yet it's still quite quite hot. Or at least for us Europeans, it's 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 still really hot. Which which part of Hong Kong do you live in? I live in Kowloon, Kowloon side. We mostly we live this side here. Yeah. Do you, do you know Mong Kok? Oh, yeah. I have been in Hong Kong from 1980. So. <laughs> you know it all, yeah. I lived yeah. in Mong Kok for um, about eight months. Then I moved to Wan Chai, yeah. uh, working in the nightclubs. And uh, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. But we're here today to talk about a fascinating subject, particularly fascinating to anyone that's... Um, got an interest in the military, and that is uh, our wonderful Gurkhas. But I shouldn't say our wonderful Gurkhas because the Gurkhas serve the United Kingdom, the Indian Army, and also the Nepalese Army. Am I, am I correct in that, Tim? Yeah, Nepalese Army is the, the original one. So uh, the, both Indian Army and the British Army was, of course, started by, by the British. So. They just separated after 1947 when India got independence and divided uh, Gurkha Brigade into between themselves. And uh, the, the institution has been continuing as of today for over 206 years now. Yes, and a, a very proud history, um, we should say. Your, your, your book, it's very comprehensive. Um, has it been well received? Yeah, the main reason I wrote this book was because, uh, you know, for the last uh, 206 years, all the books written in the, uh, the about the Gurkhas were mostly written from outside. 
there wasn't even one single book. Of course, there was one, two or three, few of them in, in Nepalese language, but not in, not in English. So, so when I realized that, that there was a need uh, for, uh, for, for that, then, uh, then I started working on it because, um, you know, when you have the uh, book written from only one side, it become one-sided because it's only tells the one side of the story from the outsider, not from the actual side of our side of the story. Then I realized that that was the, the most important part of the uh, reason why I have written this book. And uh, actually I did a lot of uh, research. I worked uh, almost three years on the book, I visited uh, many places like the UK, uh, Burma, Singapore, Malaysia, and Hong Kong, I know by heart. And I even went to Nepal for uh, two times and uh, visited uh, uh, from the east part of Nepal to the west part of Nepal and went through all the those areas where all those Gokhas were and tried to get their story and put it into the, into the book because I thought that uh, it was imperative to put our side of the story that unfortunately hasn't been told until now, you know. So that's, that's, that's what I thought then, that's what I did for the last three and a half years. Yes, and you've done a great job because traditionally the Gurkhas have had, uh, let, let's just say, talk about the British Gurkhas. They, they have a, a British officer. Um, and whenever I see the Gurkhas talked about in, in the media, it tends to be the officer, the British officer who, who is speaking. So I guess your book is giving the voice to to the actual um, the actual riflemen themselves. Is that fair to say? I think uh, you know it has been uh, over two uh, over one and a half year now since the book is uh, published. Because uh, my book is not only uh, published by um, um, uh, Pete, but also published by um, uh, Penguin in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, for those uh, Malaysia, Singapore area, also by Western book in, in South Asia. And we're also, uh, the, uh, the Blacksmith book one is the third one. So this is the, this is the first one published by, published by Penguin. And this is the second one published by the, for the South Asia market. And uh, the Blacksmith one was the third one for, we did for the international edition. And we're also uh, having a, the Nepali edition is also coming uh, coming very soon. So the book has uh, received, uh, it was well received from all over the world, especially now it's uh, available everywhere. And mostly it was a eye opener for the, for our people, the, the Gorkhas, not only the Gorkhas, but also the Nepalese uh, people as a whole. Because uh, until now there wasn't a book, as I said before, that covers uh, the you know almost complete history of the Gorkhas. Already in brief, I know it's a it's a long uh, institution, over two hundred and seventy years old, and it's all, you know, almost impossible to 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 combine in one book, right? So at least uh, what I what I did was to give a you know brief uh, detail from the start to, to 2018. So at least um, uh, people have a general idea of uh, of, uh, of the Gurkhas, because until now, you know, since the books is uh, mostly written from our side, it's all about uh, the bravery, how brave they are, how good they are, how 
how lower they are, and that's all. Uh, but uh, the Gorkha story is not only our bravery, it's also about our tragedy, you know. So that's what I was trying to put in, you know, and it has been very well received all over the world. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that uh, after 200 years, I, became, I happen to be the first person who, who got to write that book, and uh, it, I'm honored as well, you know. So we're doing very well. <laughs> Yes, you've done the, the Gurkha regiments proud, definitely. And you yourself, Tim, was it 12 years you served? No, I did 13 years. Uh, I joined the, you know, actually I am the, you know, as you know, those who knows about the Gurkha, they're mostly, uh, it's, uh, you know, before the World War II, all the Nepalese uh, could join the, or were allowed to join the, um, the British India, British Gorkha in India. But after the World War II, the only, mostly from the British side, they they kind of uh, selected, you know, made a different, uh, call it, uh, there's only four tribes of peoples from Nepal, they were allowed to join in the army and they call it uh, the martial races. So that is, uh, and they were divided from two part of Nepal, Eastern part of Nepal and Western part of Nepal. From Western part of come the Mughal and Gurung like myself. And the eastern part come rise and limbo. So after the World War II, most Gurkhas were from those um, the, those tribes. So um, I came from, you know, I, I come from uh, uh, the midwestern part of Nepal, which is the heartbeat uh, of the Gurkha. So every village there is a Gurung village. So you means it's a Gurkha village. You can call it a Gurkha village. So as a Gurkha, you know. There wasn't a single family, you know, that has no connection whatsoever. We no connection with the British, you know. So, so as a as a Gurkha uh, children, we grew up dreaming about uh, becoming a Gurkha because that was the only thing we saw. We we were taught, you know. So uh, even if uh, we were very good at school, we still because our last uh, destination was always there. So. Like my grandfathers, my father, my uncles, I, I was no exception. So I joined the army in seventeen in 19, 1980, Then came to Hong Kong. Then, uh, then I retired uh, in uh, nineteen ninety three. Army corporal because uh, mm, there was a rundown coming on because the Hong Kong was going back to China. At the same time, also I also felt uh, honestly that uh, I was I wasn't cut out for the army, so I need to find alternative uh, career for myself so i went happily so that's why i know i i not i you know what i mean is i'm not only a worker i not only dissolve in the army in the british army but i, I live as a worker so it's in me it's in my society so i know the inside out that that's why the book uh, has become so authentic and real because um, it tells the in an actual, actual story of the Gorkha. So uh, it was very important and uh, well received by the by everybody. And, and you were a corporal? Yeah, I, I was a corporal. Yeah. Yeah. I was a lance corporal. Okay. <laughs> so now, now we have to call each other corporal, lance corporal. <laughs> can, Tim, for our friends at home, can you tell us what is life like in Nepal? Obviously, it's very different depend, depending on where you live. But 
what is a typical life for a for a young man who who might be thinking of or or, or might wish to join the Gurkhas? No, uh, I think uh, I cannot talk about uh, the situation at the moment because I have came out of Nepal and I've been out of Nepal for a long time, you know, almost 40 years. I've been out of Nepal, but what can I, what can I can talk about is, is, is the time, uh, you know, my time when I was in, in Nepal. At the time, uh, I was in 19, uh, you know, 70s, 70s. Uh, as I said before, we had villages uh, just uh, from uh, one or two hours from Pokhara, you know, the Pokhara is a small town, was a small town where the uh, the British army came uh, situated for the recruitment purposes, and is it still there even today? And uh, that time, uh, Pokhara was not very big, and uh, we lived in a village uh, just a few hours from there, walking from there. But in our village, um, as I said, the life was everybody was farming. We, we were farmers, and uh, everybody, you know, we were a very closely knitted family. You know, people, village are living living in a village mostly you know descendant from one couple so we all share the same grandfather one ancestor so we're all related uh, like your father uncle sister like that so when you see uh, your grandfather fathers uncles everybody going join the army and coming back with uh, nice clothes a little bit nice clothes and some a little bit uh, more money then then uh, it was actually a typical Gurung village, you know, so a Gorkha village. So we actually didn't see anything at all other than joining the British Army. Of course, we had choice, uh, three choices at the time. The first was actually in our village, we just had two choices. The first was the was the, the British Army, always the priority one. And the second was the if we fail in joining the British Army, then we, we would um, choose for the uh, Indian Army. There's another choice for the Nepal army, but I don't know why people from our village never, never, almost never went there. So only thing we saw was, uh, you know, British army. So no matter what do, end of the day, you know, when you are big enough to have a, uh, growing up, you know, you have a, a, you are tall enough, there was 5.2 inches and you can, uh, the weight was 50 kilos. And your your chest, you know, you can. There was thirty and thirty-two inches. So, without uh, the, the you know spread, it was thirty inches. After you spread, thirty-two inches. So once you got that level, you go and line up. That was the only thing, you know. So, also um, there was uh, even the uh, our family, like uh, you know the the sisters, the, the daughters, sister or, or aunties, everybody, you know, the first priority was you know. It was to to marry a, a Gurkha. That was that was that was the reality in our time, and uh, we had uh, no other option. We thought no other option whatsoever at that time. So as you can see, I was uh, I was quite a bright student in my school, and still um, I joined the army because of that. And I also had two reasons. One was I was the first one of the family. Second was. My father was in the army, in the Gorkha army, Gorkha. So we were, um, in comparison, not that well off in, uh, in financially. So it was the honest the responsibility was on me as a first child, first son of the family to join the army. So that's the only thing we could see, nothing at all. Like a blinker house, a horse, you know, you just see it, nothing at all. <laughs> so it was like that, you know. But I think things have changed a lot now because um, 
now they uh, the, the Nepal has improved uh, a bit. Uh, you have internet everywhere. You have road going. Uh, you know, at least the the the, the, um, the unpaved road has been everywhere. And, and and coming and most of them because of the Mao's uh, Mao's uh, insurgency in 1980s, uh, late uh, 90s, uh, people were, had to flee the flee from the village and live go go to the town area to be safe. So people come to Pokhara and all the other cities and they live there. So now the, I think life has uh, has changed a lot. Also, they have other options going to other countries. Uh, so. Uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, I don't think, uh, and I have been out of Nepal for 40 years, so maybe I'm not qualified to talk in. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, Tim, I remember reading a long time ago, we're talking about 30 years ago now, about the recruitment process in Nepal. And you had a, a British Army officer would walk a, walk from village to village, or, and I'm probably getting this a bit wrong. It was a long time ago, but these young men would come forward and their dream was to be a Gurkha and they would have some criteria. Uh, so I think you mentioned it, the chest would have to expand hmm. a certain amount of inches. They'd have to, yes, they'd have to do the, the, the physical stuff and, and carry, the, uh, carry a basket across a, a, a route march um, and some of these young men they would walk for days to, to get to the recruitment um, the recruitment post D does this sound about right no actually uh, the, at the early time uh, it wasn't the British officer the British British officer they normally stay in the in the recruiting center recruitment center there was normally in, in, in uh, there was one in in, in uh, West Nepal, like Pokhara, my hometown. There is another one in Dharan in Eastern Nepal. What they used to do normally was that uh, there was uh, those um, ex-Gurkhas, you know, who have served in the British Army, retired, and they're, you know, mostly a senior ranking officer, uh, like a non-commissioned officer, not the commissioner, not the officer, but the non-commissioned officer, like sergeant uh, or a W-2 or a left, even lieutenant like that. They used to call them a Gallawal, Gallawal, Gallawal. So they are they are the, um, appointed by the British uh, recruitment uh, office in Pokhara in Nepal, and they went around and then for certain areas. So they are located in certain area. They go there and select the base one, and uh, normally they will select all of them. Then uh, accordingly. Bring it to to the to the final uh, recruitment camp like Pokhara. Then where they we used to have a lot of tests like all the fitness tests, running tests, medical tests, education tests, uh, those those kinds of normal things uh, things. And they would uh, mark the um, you know, numbers and then select the best one. That was uh, in our time. Later on, uh, nowadays I think since um, the number of recruitment for the British Army has gone down. Significantly down is just uh, 200 or 150 or 250 maximum a year. Before it was a few hundred, even a thousand a year. But at the moment, it's probably few, a few hundred. Uh, I think it's uh, 250 maximum, like that. So what they do is normally they all come to Pokhara. Uh, they also have in Dharan, they have a very small one. They also bring from there. 
they come to Nepal, Pokhara, everybody go there. And um, they, they call it, like we said, in the basket, we call it, they call it the Dokores. Dokores. Dokor means it's a, it's a, it's a rattan, you know, kind of, it's a bamboo basket to carry things. And they put a weight or something like, I don't know, maybe 30, 60, I don't know, kilo, something like that. Then make them run for a certain period of uh, distance. Then whoever are going up the hill and whoever comes first, they win, you know, because the competition is probably very tough. Uh, probably uh, 10,000, 20,000, even 30, 40,000 before. Now probably uh, 10, 20,000 just for, uh, for uh, 200. So that's the, that's the case now. But before, uh, it was, like you said, uh, the Gallawala used to go all around the villages, collect his men, all the young guys, and bring it to the recruitment center and do the test again and uh, select the best one. That was the case. Is it in Nepal? I'm gathering. Uh, I'm guessing it's a rural lifestyle. A lot of farming. There's a lot of hills or or mountains. So the young men are probably quite strong anyway. It 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 must mean that the the guys that get through the recruitment process are, are really 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 quite fit. They have to be fit, uh, of course, because they have to win the doko race, you know, the carrying a basket race and come up the hill. But at the same time, what has changed now, because they live in the, those uh, Gurkhas also serve in, live in the UK now. They serve in the UK now. And they have to go other country like Afghanistan, uh, Brunei, Singapore, or whatever. They, they, they have to go, so wherever they have to go, right? In that case, in that case, they have to be also well-educated. So what they do now is... Uh, yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, so they have to be uh, well educated, also be fit, and so you become uh, not only you know, if you only select from those from the from the hill, you know, they might be strong, but they, they won't be able to survive in a in a in a civilized uh, country country society like like in London. So I think it's combination of both. That's why they I saw in Nepal when I was going there visiting uh, for my books uh, research for my book. They have created a, a lot of, uh, you know, the, those uh, training school, you know, the physical school, where the those uh, those people will train those young youngsters for the for the for the for the for the British Army, you know. So they train there. They know what is required, what the, what what those requirements. They train there. Then they already are well educated. Most of them are uh, university students. So they train there for a year or two, then they are educated, they train their physically fit and they go there. I think that's the, that's the only case now because also most of the um, uh, people in, in, in Nepal now uh, live in, in, in those uh, cities or some small towns. You know, they don't live mostly in the village, only those uh, very poor and very old people live in the village nowadays. So that is the case now, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's it like, Tim, arriving in England or, or the United Kingdom for the first time? Nowadays or, or before? Uh, your experience, was it very different? No, for me, it was it's not a big difference, but for yeah, yeah, of course, it was a big difference. The cultural shock, everything was there. But my biggest, I lived there uh, in Sanders for a year. Year, I didn't live that much. I lived there for a year in Sanders. You know, the, 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 the British official training center. Mm. We live there. Uh, I live there as a, I served there for a year. 
My biggest problem was the winter, you know, the cold. <laughs> the other was not a problem. You know. It was the, the coldness. It was too cold for us. Especially when we were deployed in the jungle, you know, there was all the snow everywhere and it was too, too cold for us. That's the only problem. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, I think because of the internet age, the people, they know, the young, young, young generation, they know most of the things. Also, the non-Nepali youth goes everywhere, all over the world. So it shouldn't be that needed. There must travel for them. Yes, it's a changing world, of course. And also technology and the internet brings everything closer to home. Was it, um, was it difficult to learn the language? Um, I, I worked with the Gurkhas. Uh, I did two parachute courses. And on each course, there was about, oh, maybe uh, about a third, if not 50% were, were Gurkhas. And it's quite incredible because learning to parachute is, is difficult enough. It's a life or death mm. situation. If you get it wrong, it, it's mm. going to be death. Mm. But of course, we're learning in English and we're English guys, you know, English or, or, or Brit British guys or Commonwealth guys. Um, I say guys, there were no, no girls on either of the, the courses I did. But for these young men from Nepal, they're having to learn all these difficult, difficult drills, mm. but in a foreign language that maybe they've only had a year, two years to, to learn. Was, was, was that difficult to learn English so quickly? Or, or does everybody learn it? No, I don't think so because, uh, especially in our, during my time, uh, most of the Gurkhas they didn't speak uh, very well English, didn't speak good English because it was almost impossible. Because all the lesson we 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 had to take was in, in Nepalese, in Gurkhalese, and uh, English was only for reading, reading. So there also we always live with our, our own people. And as you know, the, the British officer were only there for the show. They come and bark the order and then disappear, you know, most of the time. So we had to live uh, the, with our own people. So we speak Nepalese. So for most of them, the English uh, learning is, there wasn't a chance even, even or necessary, necessity to learn, learn English at the moment. But at the moment, as nowadays they live in the UK, I think, uh, uh, they also have to be quite quite good at English. Uh, that's why uh, they when they um, recruit to Gurkhas from Nepal, I think that's why they they ask uh, they look for the university graduates. Uh, you know, some of them they already go to the the basic English English school in Nepal, and some of them they even study in other like Singapore or Hong Kong or or in even in UK. So they shouldn't have a problem for English. I think now the modern one, all the new soldiers, they have no problem in it. Tim, what what rank can a, a Gurkha get to? Because I, I saw there was a Gurkha colonel, and I didn't know you could become a colonel as a Gurkha. I, I always thought that was the, the British officer's job. Uh, I think uh, when the Gurkhas uh, moved from India to Malaysia and Singapore, Instead of integrating the Gurkhas into the British Army, as stipulated in the treaty, of, you know they signed a treaty in 1947 called the Treaty, 
um, between uh, the British, uh, Gotha, uh, Nepal, and India. They created a completely separate system for the Gotha. So because of that, we had a different system, we had a different rule of laws, we had different pay, different, different uh, pension, everything was different. So during, uh, even within, within our time, when I was still there, uh, Gorkha, uh, Gorkha can only promote two uh, majors. It's a Gorkha major. That's not even a commission officer. It's a Gorkha major. So you, you, have, you have to go through a lens corporal, corporal sergeant like that, you know, from the, from the basic, from the, from, the, from the ground, then climb up to the Gorkha major. So Gorkha major was the most senior officer in a battalion who was responsible for an administrative job or uh, welfare of the worker soldiers and their family. Well, the, and also assistant to a colonel who was a, the commanding officer of the British, who was, of course, always a British army. And during that time, there were just few of the, you know, very highly educated uh, Gurkhas uh, were allowed to join the, uh, attend the British, Sanders, uh, British Commissioning Court. There's just uh, four or five of them who become, uh, eventually become a, a lieutenant colonel. Even they, you know, the, the highest rank they could do was a lieutenant colonel. But after the Gurkhas left Hong Kong in 1997 and become part of the part of the British Army, I think they have changed the rule now, and uh, the Gurkhas were also allowed to uh, get promoted uh, beyond colonel. That's why I think you have some of them. I think we have four or five of them now. That's the main reason. But before that, we had no, there was no, nothing at all. And you know, the, the most uh, 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 amazing thing, you know, as I actually it was the irony or the saddest thing, it was, you know, the, the Gurkha major, you know, the, the, the most senior Gurkha officer in a, in a battalion with at least 20 years, years, years of service had to salute a second lieutenant a British guy who was at the age of he's even younger than his son. That was the you know acrimony, you know, the, the 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 disparity between the British and Angor, British and the Gorkha. And that is the reason why we are still having this uh, this uh, uh, discrimination and having this uh, problem. I think you are aware of the hunger strike going on in London, Whitehall you know, opposite of the British Prime Minister's office. That's the reason, you know, that's the main reason why this is still going on. And uh, um, what I want to tell you is, you know, that the Gurkhas, like I said at the beginning, Gurkhas uh, uh, have always been a good friend and loyal friend for the British, for over to an uh, institution that lasted for over 200 years, cannot be, cannot survive on loyalty alone and bravery alone. There must be something more. And I think uh, after uh, my research and reading the book, you know, our country has given everything they had, everything. Even today, everything. But in when uh, treated the British, I'm not, uh, not saying the British people as a journal. British people love their journey workers. That's no doubt about it. It is the policy, the British government policy, that's disgusting, okay. So the, the, uh, 
for the last 200 years, we gave everything. We treated like a, like our true friend. You know, we, the 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 Gurkhas, um, you know, they they did their part. But in return, um, I think what the the British government did, did or doing to us is uh, is 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 disgraceful. So um, I think those who read my book will 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 understand why I'm saying this. But that is the reason, you know, because uh, uh, as you know the. As I said, after 1947, they created a completely, completely uh, different separate system, paid 10 times less than uh, their, their, uh, the British counterpart, doing the same job, carrying the same rifle, and facing the same bullet. And you know how many Gurkhas have died. And the implication this institution has inflicted into the Nepal is actually massive. The problem is until now, I don't know why, why nobody has ever looked into it, researched into it, and written into it. Nobody did until now. But uh, you know, the reason why Nepal is still uh, one of the poorest countries in the world is because of this protest. That's the main reason. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, um, all the, the even the first world war, second world war, uh, there's so many Gurkhas died. They went home, and uh, you know, un, and and, and uh, until they in, in Malaysia, they for the for uh, for ten years the Malay the, the, the communist guerrilla in, in Malaysia. Then they they for the Indonesian in uh, Borneo confrontation confrontation, and. Uh, also, they, they fought in Falkland, Kosovo, Bosnia, Iraq, Afghanistan, everywhere, right? But uh, in return, what do we get? Nothing. That was, I think that was, uh, everything was okay until uh, until uh, the Gurkhas, uh, when the Gurkhas were, were still in Nepal. That was still acceptable because the living star in Nepal was uh, low. The money, whatever we give, we can earn. And we can get uh, from the British Army was quite quite good when we were when we were in Nepal. Then uh, we could at least live a dignified and decent life with that pension. But when the, the campaign began, the Zagorkas Justice campaign began, and they the, they moved to the UK in 2009, and then the real problem begins there because you. Or living in the UK as a as a as a British citizen, you're paying the same. You have to pay the same for water, electricity, and other bills and living standards. But it's, you're still getting the Nepali Nepali pension. Then how can you expect them to survive? That was the biggest problem. And uh, if the British were a little bit uh, sensible and give them the equal pension and uh, most of them would have, you know, moved back to Nepal and have a very comfortable and simple life. And uh, you know, in a foreign country like uh, those old guys who don't speak English, they don't know about the uh, the living the way of living there. They don't know about the culture there, and um, they don't speak English. How how can you expect them to survive? It's very hard for them. And uh, I think it's, it's pretty shameful that uh, the British are still. Uh, Treat our people like artists, and uh, I feel uh, very bad about that. And sorry, I have to say this uh, here, but uh, 
Hey, Tim, the British government treat the British people like like rubbish. (laughs) You're not alone, brother, but I do understand. I spoke to the... I spoke to the 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 two Gurkhas and the and the Gurkha wife on hunger strike mm. yes, yesterday, and yes, what 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 can we say? I, it's not just you guys that the British government hate veterans a- anyway. <laughs> we 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 nothing to them. They they work for other pe other people. <laughs> they, they, they yeah. <laughs> The, the the trillion dollar corporations controls our government. Um, our government are just puppets, mm. but they believe that they're a bit special, so, mm. so they hate the people. They think we're scum, mm. and that we won't, you know, we won't rise up. But it's I think that actually, yeah, it's um sorry to get political, folks, but it it, it has to be said. Um, we life has become a joke in this country and i don't care about me and because uh, i'm an old guy but i care about the children and what their future is and if we just keep allowing this 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 disrespect this segregation uh uh this this manipulation and control to happen well it it's not going to go to a good place because these guys play their own game. They, they don't care about us. No. But fortunately, through, through podcasts like this, people are slowly becoming aware of this, Tim. And I, 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 I hope it, you know, I hope it's all, all well, I'm, I'm going to do my best to make sure it goes to a better place. But mm. I'm just, I'm one guy. Um, let, let's um, talk because, in, was it, Sorry, let's talk about the, the Gurkha's commitment because did I read in World War One there was two hundred thousand Gurkhas, and yet in Nepal there's only five five million people. So that's yes. a, that's it's a, a, it's a one lot. One in ten didn't return home. Yes, one in ten didn't return home, but of course many return home injured. And so. Mentally broken. Yeah, broken, damaged, blind, maybe lost yes. their legs, arms, and yet they can't go back to work on, on their farms, their homeland. Yeah. So the wife then has to look after them. Yeah. And also, did I understand that people then would like have hate for that for that family? It did I understand that? Or, or for the wife who lost who lost her husband? I think that's a, that's a completely different thing. But at the same time, at that time, there were so many, so many of them, and they were so, you know, overwhelmed by the by the by the effect by the by the war that uh, and sorrow and the misery that they simply had no time to think uh, the hate or hatred or the bitterly and think bitterness to other people. They were too engrossed, you know, overwhelmed by their own problems. So. They just try to survive as a as a as a used up and uh, thrown away countries, you know. And you know how they are paid. Uh, there was one I I think I also written in the book. It was in World War Two, when uh, that time the Nepal had only six million people and two hundred fifty thousand people 
grabbing from the from the village, sent by the even the prisoners, everybody, then they grab them and put on the truck and then send them to to to, to war. Then 33, over 33,000 died, and many of them were injured, you know, like I said. But, you know, when they went back home, they were sent, given a pocket money, a few, few hundred uh, Indian rupees by then, and a white piece of cloth. There was uh, one or two meters, something like that. White piece of cloth. I don't know why they give it, because in Nepal, white piece of cloth is actually an insult. Because it's a pole that you use for the dead one. What piece of cloth is a pole that you use for the dead people? So I don't know whose idea was or how, who, who's, who, whose idea was that, but that was, uh, I just couldn't believe when I found it out. You know? But uh, one thing I have to say now here is that I know how the British did that because they wanted uh, to pay as, as much, as, as less as possible. But if the Nepal government and our rulers were not in collusion with the with the British, it would have never never happened. So, because I'm not um, I am not here to blame anyone. So I'm just here to tell the truth. So as I found out, so our Nepali leaders are also as blamed and must be as must be as guilty as as the British British policy. If they hadn't, uh, they were not complicit with the, with, with the crime, you know, it would have never happened. Because they had a very weak niche for the British to be a friend with the British actually by that time, even today, even today, to be a friend with the British guy, big guy, with a lot of uh, embellishment and star all over his, 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 uh, his uniform and take a picture with them was, was, a, it was an honor for them, you know. Even today, and uh, I, I bring my, my research, I found whenever the, the British needed more people, they used to send a general or some big guy with a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, stars all over his place and talk with the Nepali leader and take a picture. And the Nepali would just, uh, just collapse and they would just say yes to everything, you know, even today. That's the case, you know. And uh, there's another thing is, you know, that's funny that uh, was so sad, but it's also funny that in return for that, uh, in both uh, both World War One and World War Two, and also in the, after the border confrontation in 1989 and also 1990, 1969 and 1994, whenever they, they British needed the, the the more people, they got it. Then they after the the the, the incident is over, they sent back to them home, and they what they did is uh, in return for the favor as a favor they give all those you know the, the honorary ranks you know like uh, knighthood or the, the general uh, colonel of the regiment all those things uh, to to nepali nepali leader because uh, it cost them nothing yes <laughs> it was so funny but this is so, so horrible terrible tim what yeah. From my experience, Gurkhas are incredibly loyal. I mean, they're incredibly friendly. They just love to learn and to talk. They love dancing. I love dancing, but so uh, 
they, they, uh, full of life. But what is it that, uh, how come they so fearless? What is that for the loyalty or, or is that something to do with Nepalese culture? I think there's a, there's a lot of things, but I'm not a psychologist, but uh, I think it's a one is a commitment to, to what you do, give your best. Because in our culture, whenever somebody give you a job, you do your best because you, you, you respect the guy who give you, give you a job. That's one thing. And uh, the other thing is the, is the upbringing, you know, that, that uh, you have to give your best, uh, do your best uh, to your master. And third is, I think, is it's also the Gorkha, they don't like the serious stuff. stuff. They just want to play around and joke around and uh, do their job and, uh, and go home and drink party like that. You know? And uh, and and other thing, the most important thing is, I think, is the their the one is uh, is, is the, the most important thing is they don't, as I said, they don't like the serious stuff. So they they don't know how the world is. They know they don't they don't care how the whole world, how people manipulate, how people take advantage of you, how people, um, you know, uh, use you, uh, thing like that, you know, and uh, for interest, people do anything and, and thing, and then they are very easy to, they also are, they have uh, also, they're very, uh, they have perseverance uh, skill, they have tenacity, also adaptation, they have everything, and um, but also the I think is also the stupidity, you know that uh, that also plays a part. I'm sorry to say that, but that also plays a part. That's why how they you know uh, they don't fear or they they go and die. You know? They're ready to die for the. I think that that's another thing, and they are also easily easily you know manipulated. They can be easily manipulated. That's another reason. Yeah. Yes, of course. What, Tim, tell us about the swimming because Nepal is a, a landlocked country. I, I obviously, you have many rivers, but it, I, I gather that the, the, the many Gurkhas have to learn to swim. Yeah, I think uh, that's the reason because Nepal is a landlocked country. There's not much river. Uh, there, there's no swimming pool, obviously, <laughs> in the village. So in the river, uh, the, because the, the place is so hilly, you know, mountainous, so uh, there is uh, no pond or uh, swimming place to to to, to learn swimming. So there's uh, uh, no river. Um, only rivers are, you know, just very, very steep. So um, most of them, they almost never swim, uh, especially during our time. We didn't swim. Uh, we just uh, walk on the river, never learned to swim. So we had to... Uh, learn swimming when, when in the in the regular training, but nowadays I think they have some swimming pool in in uh, in those uh, cities area, so they should be able to swim. I think nowadays it should be different story. And you know um, who is N Nims Dai? Yeah, I know. I know the guy. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he was Gurkha during the SBS, so. He, he had to swim really well. <laughs> yeah. And then for friends listening, Nims Dai has been on the podcast. Yeah. He climbed the world's 14 highest peaks yeah. Yeah, yeah. in record uh, 
record time. He, the previous record was eight years, and Nims die in his his um. Yeah, with just his Sherpa team, so all Nepalese climbed in in six months. I, I bet the country is very proud of them. Do Do you think so, Tim? The uh, Nepal is very proud of what Nimstai has done. Oh yeah, I I think a lot of people know them, but Nepal, like I said, uh, Nepal has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, issues. You know, they they their way of thinking, way of life is a, a little bit. Uh, different than what we do in uh, mostly in western country because we have uh, this have this uh, uh, caste system we have this uh, social uh, problems we have this political system we have this uh, religious system uh, problems we have a lot of problems because of this you know people have rather uh, uh, you know narrow mandate and there's their short-sightedness you know and uh, as I said, uh, I think they still have to have, they still have to grab the grab the, the importance of uh, uh, being uh, being uh, 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 famous or uh, or brightening you know, making your name uh, popular around the world in world space. They still have to grab grab things. things. At the same, same time, we have a lot of. A lot of fighting and fighting going on in Nepal because of this, uh, this mainly because of the religion and caste system. Because of that, you know, you have um, people think that the, the thinking is a little bit different. So they still have to come as a, as a, as a, uh, they still have to unite as a, as a national, national, national team. And uh, they, 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 I mean, in that sense, I think it's uh, still lacking. So. I think they still have a lot, lot, a lot to learn before they start appreciating those kind of uh, uh, great work uh, done by our Nepalese people. Yes, of course. Infighting, I always call it divide and conquer. You know, you get the people arguing with each other, and then they don't, they don't see how they're being controlled. Yeah, they are uh, more busy on personal uh, interests uh, while. Um, Missing the, you know, missing the big picture. That's the yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Tim, we should talk about uh, battle honors, famous battles. Can you? I, I just don't want to finish the podcast without talking about uh, the the huge commitment that the Gurkhas have put in. In in in. I mean, you on the back of your book. It says it all. I mean, we, we uh, First World War, Second World War, Malaya, Singapore, Borneo, East Timor, Hong Kong, Cyprus, Falklands, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kosovo. Um, there's a massive commitment there. Can, can you give us some ideas of um, maybe some incidents that have taken place in some of these wars? Um, maybe some... Uh, I don't know, like on, on honors that the Gurkhas have won. Yeah, I think uh, as you know, the Gurkhas started uh, joining the British Army in the middle of uh, uh, Anglo Gurkha War that uh, did happen in two phases, and uh, eighteen fourteen and eighteen sixteen. Then when uh, and when the when the British uh, fought the Gurkhas in a in a small hill. Uh, on the first phase of the First World War, uh, sorry, 
the Anglo-Gorkha War, there was just about uh, 600 men, including wife and children. And the British had, uh, you know, as you did, almost 22,000 uh, people with advanced, uh, advanced uh, artillery weapon like that. And they were so impressed by the, by the bravery and the tenacity of the, of the Gorkhas, you know, they, they decided right away on the spot that you should better uh, be on my side than fight with me. That's why it started uh, in 1815 with uh, 5,000 men with three Gorkha battalion. And uh, they played a significant role from 1815 to 1947 to establish uh, the British Raj in India. And they, they fought all the all those uh, main wars like the, the Maratha wars, the Jats war, the two six wars, Afghanistan war, and uh, Burmese war like that, you know. But it was in the in the Sepoy, you know, the Indian mutiny in 1857 and 58, when the first the second battalion, Gurkhas called the Seymour Battalion, uh, 327 men died out of 498. They, they got they got surround they got overrun. They were surrounded by all the mobs and killed everyone. And they still fought on, and they won that. From there on, only from there on, the Gurkhas were, were given the you know the the rank of soldiers from that 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 uh, Sipai mutiny, and on the on the scene during the Sipai mutiny, not only the Gurkhas fought um, alongside the British, but also the Nepal army sent around uh, and, and, uh, nine thousand to fifteen thousand Nepalese army. From the hill down, coming down and uh, taking, taking, uh, and taking down all the all the mutineers along the way, then saved the British. Otherwise, the British Raj would have been, you know, finished uh, in 1857. It started from there. Then there was not even a single war since then. You know, uh, there wasn't the, the Gurkhas uh, fighting alongside the British. As I said, in the uh, First World War, uh, more than 200,000 uh, people came down to fight uh, to fight for, for the British. They came to Europe and they, they fought in, in the Middle East and Africa. And, uh, and in, in Second World War, they came to Europe, also fought in Middle East and Africa. You know, the, the, the British, uh, the German, uh, German general was... Uh, was uh, defeated in Africa because uh, by the British, uh, by the Gurkhas, and they also fought in the, in, in Burma, which is was the biggest war, you know, that they fought, and there were so many people die. Then altogether, the British won uh, uh, thirteen VCs, the Victoria Cross, in their thirteen uh, VCs, VCs, uh, thirteen VCs, two in First World War, twelve, uh, the, uh, ten in Second World War. One in Borneo confrontation, and the the living Vishi Ramadukun, he is still in Kathmandu today. He is still uh, alive today. Um, he is the only living Vishi, Vishi in Kathmandu. Because the Vishi, if if the Vishi was uh, only allowed, uh, you know, only allowed, permitted to be given to the to the Gorkhas in 1911, because before that. Uh, there, the, 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 you know, it wasn't allowed, you know, you, so you can imagine if it was allowed before, it could have been, been many more. So, and then, as you know, in the, 
in uh, in the therefore in uh, Malay Malaysia uh, border confrontation in in, in uh, Falkland War in Kosovo in Afghanistan altogether and uh, in Afghanistan uh, I think from 2001 to four, 2014 uh, 12 Gurkhas were, were killed and 16 were injured and after that uh, I don't know because I, I didn't find the research on that one so for you for, for you know for two two hundred and six years you know it's like um, and you you should remember one thing is Nepal wasn't and isn't even a colony of Nepal a colony of British you know it's a separate sovereign country and you just go there like a, and it's like a tap water you go there and you open the tap and take the water out whatever water you need and you close it and come back every year go there uh, in somebody's country take the best men of their cream of their youth and uh, make them fight for your country and in return you treat them like a class so yes yeah we need to stop war i don't like it yeah i like love love and friendship is the yeah. best way i i think what uh Tim, in the Falklands, um, was it? Were the Gurkhas angry? They didn't. Uh, am I correct? They didn't get to fight a battle. Not, not, not their fault. But they, they weren't ordered into battle. I think it's all the all the British propaganda machine. It's, it's, I don't think that is the case because, uh, like as you say, when before the Falkland War, when the the Gurkha was to was to fight uh, with the Argentine. The British uh, propaganda machine used the used the um, propaganda paper, and uh, you know they keep distributing million of propaganda papers saying that Gurkhas are like a beast, uh, you know, blood blood sucking beast. They take out the kukri, then without uh, sucking or killing anybody and sucking the blood, they won't put it down. It things like that, you know. They are your 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 supposed to be your friend, your your. Your brother on arms, you know. You don't say those things. You don't insult those things. And this is that's and that's why the Argentinian Argentinian went away and surrendered. That's the reason they won that way. But yeah, that's not the way to treat your own people, you know, brother on arms. So oh, there are no confused about the about the propaganda thing. So that was that was propaganda. Propaganda. There's nothing to do with. With the Gurkha, you, 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 they are talking like the, the Gurkhas are not like a machine, you know, with, yeah, without yeah. Uh, without blood or feeling or thinking mind or nothing. It's like a blood machine. You just go there and kill and come back and dance and thing like that. We also have, we are also human. We also yeah. Have yeah, Tim, we we uh, we all understand that, but it, I think it's a bit of um, maybe military uh, folk tale that that allegedly the some of the argentines believe if the gurkhas get you they're going to eat you right <laughs> but it's actually not about that's a fearsome reputation <laughs> so it's not it's, uh, that's what, the, what the, the british has done from the beginning it's only about bravery but never talk about about their their tragedy never talk about their feeling they will never talk about their welfare never talk about their their uh, family never tell about, yeah. about their life that, no. that was the problem yes of course of yeah. course 
This is why so many people have uh, been, been fighting for the Gurkhas' rights over, yeah, exactly, over, yeah. over the years. And uh, yeah, Britain is a, people won't like to hear this, but historically we've been in, well, it, it goes both ways, but we have been quite a racist nation. Yeah. Uh, it still continues today and you see it, um, you, you, you see hints of it. That, I mean, I grew up in the 70s it was a very, it was incredibly racist time, much different to young people today. Mm. Um, we, we, we were led to believe we were superior to, to other countries and other colours. Um, and it's a horrible thing that I have to live with that. I have to live with that's how I was programmed when I was a kid mm. um, by sort of cult, cultural influences, by, by comedy and huge, well, not comedy, but by humor, we, we, we made fun of everybody. But, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Even the even the the Gurkha Battalion looked the British officer, and they they had the same same attitude, same behavior, same uh, same activity. They did the same, they separated, and there was yeah. a two different system. Yes, and the irony is when I look at the world now, hmm. and then I look at the way that uh, tribes live. You know, Nepal is tri a, a, a tribal country. Um, it's, those guys have got it right. They have family, community, honor, simplicity. They don't destroy the planet. Yeah. You know, they have it all right. The way that the West is going, or the globe now, mm. it's toxic. It, it, everything is so wrong. It's poison, it, it, yeah. You know, all, all, all this nonsense. Yeah. It's just so I'd rather be, you know, in a in a Nepalese house drinking some whiskey, dancing around the fire, telling stories than than spending uh, an evening just watching rubbish on my phone or pretending that people like me when they probably <laughs> probably don't even care about me. Um so can can we talk about the the? Do I say it right? The kukuri, kukuri, yeah, kukuri. kukuri. The, the legendary. In Nepal, we said it's kukuri. Kukuri. Yeah, kukuri. And each one is handmade by a blacksmith, by by a, a I don't by a by a by a, a craftsman. Yeah, mostly it was the case. Uh, they even uh, there was a craft the craftsmen uh, around the, those Gurkhas area. Also, some of the some of the Gurkha battalions during the World War Two they even produced by themselves. We we found that yeah. Yes, I mean everybody wants a kukuri. They they they're a special tool. I'm going to call it a tool, not a weapon, but I guess it's both. The famous knife, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the famous knife and. Um, Okay, I'm going to put some questions to you, Tim. Maybe some are silly. I, I don't know, but this is stuff I've grown up with, but hearing about the Gurkhas. The, every time you draw, you draw the kukri, you have, to, you have to draw blood. I think this is nonsense, but... Yes, bullshit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was. Um, is it true it's sharp enough that you can... You can cut the head off a cow. It's it's. I, I saw some photo years ago. Some of them you can because they're a little bit bigger. Because in Nepal they have this 
bigger and longer sacrificial knife. Yeah. If the cook river is bigger, so they use normally for the sacrificing the animals. Some of them can. Some of them can. Yeah. And I've been seeing a story in the, on the media. Uh, Gurkha, did he take out 30 Taliban in Afghanistan? Is, is this a true story or apparently they were surrounded and he just picked up every weapon and em emptied every magazine. Um, I haven't really read too much about it, but I... So there is a one guy called... Uh, there was a, a one guy who got... Uh, I think it's uh, the guy from the, from the Gurkha, Gurkha. Yeah, he took out 17 or something uh, Taliban with the one, one machine gun. That's that's real uh, real history. I think he won the GCB, you know the gallantry award. Yes. Yeah, that's that's true. But there is another story. That one Gorkha, that's an Indian Gorkha. He took out thirty bandits alone with a kukri. That happened in a in a Indian train when he was going home. There was some bandits tried to loot, the, you know, tried to rob the passenger. And the guy with the kukri who was uh, going home uh, on leave, long leave, then he he single-handedly uh, chased them all them away. That that's also true. Hey, Tim, I live in Plymouth. That's that's a normal day for us. Yeah. Every every time we go outside the front door. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, listen, it, this has been a fascinating chat. Um, thank you so much for coming on on the show. I really hope we can um, we can meet in Hong Kong at some point. Um, I don't know when I'm back in Hong Kong, but it, it, it would be it would be nice to come over. Yeah, that would be my pleasure, and thank you very much for everything. Yes, and I wish you so much luck with the book. Yeah, friends at book. friends at I home. Book. With... I have book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, book time again. Yeah. We're going to put links for the books, friends, below the video on YouTube. So okay. grab a copy. It's an incredible read. Um, it's just so fascinating. There's so much stuff here that you're probably not going to hear in books that are maybe written by by British officers. Or, yeah, this is the, the other side of the story. Then. Yeah, the other in side of the story. Your perception about the Gurkhas will change after reading this book. Yeah. yeah. And, I <laughs> and it's a very uh, it, it's a very nicely flowing read it's it, it's you start reading and you can't you can't put it down folks so 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 grab a copy tim tim just stay stay there when i hit off uh, the record button so i can thank you um properly but uh can i say ayo gurkali yeah ayo gurkali yeah Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much. It I was my you, honor. Yeah, yeah, no, the honor is all, all of ours, and I wish you all. Uh, I, w I wish you all the Gurkhas and the people in Nepal all all the best for the um, for the future. To our friends at home, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. If you can like and subscribe and share this video, that will really help our channel. Much love to you all. Look after yourselves. Thank you. Thank you very much. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.